Let's just pray. Lord, as we come before your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and may we hear what you are saying to your church here at Wangani East Baptist. Lord, bring us from a point of complacency, perhaps, being a place of comfort, perhaps, bring us to your uncomfortableness because of the obedience you require of us. And Lord, as we interact with people, give us the courage to speak and to say what you have put on our hearts. And Lord, above all, may they see Jesus Christ reflected in our hearts and in our lives. And so be drawn to Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Now again, like I did last week, because we're in a thematic teaching series, I'm not going to be analysing this piece of text um, as we would when we ex- do expository preaching through this. It is the framework around which we're going to speak today. And then we'll be looking at two verses more closely as well as we come to the application. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. God's instructions to His church. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Hang on, hang on. He's speaking to the church. Maybe I'll reread that. You see, what is the church filled with? Sinners saved by grace. Are we perfect people? Put up your hand if you're perfect. <laughs> By putting your hand up, you've just become lost your humility. So you're not perfect. So we are imperfect people, but we've been saved by Jesus Christ. And He is making us to be more like Jesus Christ. We're not there yet. We're getting there. Let's start again. Verse 1. So, church, put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good, church? Then grow up to be in the salvation of God. Verse 4. As you come to Him, and the verb there is, as you continually come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And isn't Jesus Christ still rejected by men today? While you come to Him as God's chosen and precious stone, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To be, uh, sorry, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. This is God's promise now. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling 
and a rock of offence. And so many take offence at the name of Jesus Christ in our society today. You try speaking to our society about Jesus Christ. They take offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. They can't help themselves. Without Christ, that's all the world can do. And that's why we have a task, church, to get in among them and to bring this good news. Verse 9, why should we do that? Here's the reason. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's our function. There's our purpose in the world. He's called us to be light. Why? Out of grateful hearts. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I therefore urge you as sojourners, people who are on a journey, sojourners, and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You know what I'm talking about. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of their visitation. Wow. As we live honorable deeds among the Gentiles, and in this context it means those who do not yet know Jesus Christ, they can rail against us in the name of Jesus, but the very works we do should speak out about Him. And so they should be silenced. Well, there's a challenge for us, and we haven't even got to the passage. Now turn with me to the verses I want to concentrate on, and that is chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. Still in First Peter. He's speaking here about suffering for righteousness sake. But there's a gem here as a principle amongst how do we suffer for righteousness sake. Here's the gem that we're going to look at. So, uh, where should I start? Verse 13. Now, there, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, here's the have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Here's the, here's the gem. But in your heart, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So there's the principle. In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. They should never have a finger to point at you. Right, what does it have to do with the church in 2018? You see, we're surrounded on all sides by puzzled people. 
They might not know they're puzzled. They might not know that they're searching. They might not acknowledge or recognize that they're asking questions about life, but they are. Because Scripture teaches us that. People are constantly perplexed by problems of pain, by the problem of death and of fear. And if you don't believe me, look at the suicide rates in our country. They are puzzled by the meaning of life. And so they search for the meaning of life in the chase after things, after experiences, after religions, after spirituality of all kinds, after relationships of all kinds. They're searching for meaning in life. And all too often, they're too dazed or too misled by the deceiver of all men, we know who that is, Satan himself, to come to the church, and that isn't this building, that means us. They don't, they're too dazed by Satan, too misled by him, to come to the church to ask for a reason for their misgivings. Unfortunately, the church's sad record of compromise hasn't helped in this whole confusion. There's too much they can point at, at the church. However, Jesus Christ has commanded us to go to the world. If you turn around and look again at the back wall, as I said last Sunday, there it is. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. We have to go into the world and do this. We have to display and to speak out about the life and the love available in Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ. We have to speak to the world about the grace which is also available to them. We have to show them how we can live lives filled with grace. That's our reason for existence. You see, if God didn't have that, that plan of existence for us, He would have just taken us out when we became Christians. Taken us to heaven. It would be much easier for Him. Just think of all the forgiveness He's got to do with us. But He's kept us in this world for a purpose. And that is so that we can be salt and light. We can be a lamp on a lampstand among a world who is filled with darkness. That's our purpose of existence. And when we do that, the main purposes of our existence is there. We have to give glory to God through that, you see. What is the chief end of man? Good old catechism question. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So we are there to obey Him, to be out in the world. But the problem is with the church in 2018, and I'm generalizing, and if you've got a guilty conscience, keep it. The problem with the church today in 2018, God has rescued us in order that we may rescue the world, but what happens when the rescuer also needs to be rescued? What happens when we as the church failed in our mission because of disobedience in our personal lives or as church bodies and we only take out a twisted half message? What then? You see, what happens then is the world only gets half a message, which is no message at all. And life goes on minute by minute, one generation after the other, 
people streaming to their judgment because the church is running half-cocked. And so you see, it's imperative that we stay on track as the church of Jesus Christ of 2018. If we want to have any effect in this world, we are to be a church on track. As a Baptist union, we need to be a, a union on track. As the church of Jesus Christ whole in New Zealand, we are to be churches on track for Jesus Christ. Otherwise, there is no message into our community. All they look at is they see us and they see compromise. We are to be a worshipping church. As individuals, we are to be worshipping Jesus Christ in our everyday lives because we make up the church. If we are not worshipping Jesus Christ in our personal lives, the church is affected in New Zealand here and in this community. It's down to you and I as individuals. If we are compromising with the world as individuals in this church, by the way we live, by the things we accept into our world, by the standards that we have that keep dropping, then the church is affected in the same way. We aren't independent of the church. We are the church. Now between last week and this week, you'll get that point. We are the church of God. And we need to be faithful to Him in word and obedience. We need to be reading His word. We need to be seeking to apply those truths as the Holy Spirit helps us. We need to be making short work of sin in our lives. And asking Jesus to help us once He's forgiven us. We need to be on track with God's mission. I want to ask you as individual members of this church, are you on track with God's mission. What is that? To go out into all the world and to proclaim the gospel. Are we telling others about the gospel? Even if it's just our children. I'm not even speaking about our neighbours. Are you on track? Am I on track with God's mission? You see, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That was His mission. And he said his mission is our mission. No change has happened. So firstly what I want to do today is I want to look at what does a church on track look like. We're going to look for some danger signs that we might find in the church. And I want you to please pay attention because you can, if you find any of these danger signs in this church, come and see me please or fire me. Let's look at some of these things. So I'm going to make a statement and then we're going to look at some comments that are the symptoms of this thing that's gone off track. It's a bit like when you've got a broken leg. How do you know you've got a broken leg? There's some symptoms. You're going to try and walk on it, but it's not going to work so well because it's going to kink in the middle. And it's going to be really painful. Those are symptoms that something bigger is wrong. Let's look at it. First one. What is one of the danger signs of a church which is not on track? There's a lowered view of Scripture, firstly. Always. You see, historically, Christians have viewed the Bible as the Word of God and authoritative. That means having authority over our lives. 
Scripture is here. We put our lives under the authority of Scripture. It's the other way today. There is Scripture and I apply Scripture when and if I want to. But like licorice all sorts Christianity. And thank you for whoever always supplies that licorice all sorts. You don't have to this time. You see, Jesus says that we are to view His Word as authoritative every time. He gave it to us. One of the distinctives of Baptists is that we were known in earlier generation anyway as people of the book. One of the foundation faith statements of us Baptists taken from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith is this. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith and obedience. Scripture is the authority. We are to put ourselves under it. Sadly, how far have we wandered from this confession today as a denomination? Today we question the clear reading of God's Word. We question the clear reading of God's Word with clever theological gymnastics and semantics. Whenever it does not suit our society foisted agenda or our politically correct persuasions. I have to speak straight, people. That's what I see around me. And it's not a popular message. As in our denomination, many believers today, and that's you and I now, we emphasize personal belief over the biblical mandate. We put our beliefs over Scripture. What are some of the comments you might hear in a church or in a believer who thinks in this way? Here's a few. See if you recognize them. The Bible is inspired in the same way as many other Christian books, songs and sermons. They might not say it in so many words, but they will in their attitude and in their practice. Here's another one. I disagree with the Apostle Paul on this or that issue. Maybe it's the differing roles of men and women in church leadership. Maybe it's the whole homosexual or gay debate. Maybe it's when, it, when the Apostle speaks about the requirements for church leadership. It's outdated. Maybe about re- leadership roles in the home. Who wears the pants? What does Paul say? Well, he's outdated. Here's another one you might hear. The Bible condones immorality in the Old Testament in certain places and therefore we are obligated to reject what it says in certain places in the New Testament too. Or maybe you've heard this one. The Bible contains the Word of God. Is it the Word of God or does it contain the Word of God? Do you see the difference? There's a loophole there. Alright, so the first one is that the Bible isn't where it should be in a church. Secondly, feelings are emphasized over biblical truth. And this is one of the most common ones in churches. And you might recognize some things here too. Please let the Holy Spirit work in you. 
Personal experiences, feelings and opinions tend to be valued above objective biblical truth. And as the Bible ceases to be viewed as God's definitive word to you and I, what we feel to be true becomes the ultimate authority for faith and practice. So you might get comments like this. No, no, that Bible verse doesn't really resonate with me. That's the new lingo now, please. Resonate. doesn't resonate with me. In other words, where's my pair of scissors? Cut it out. Throw it away. Another one you might hear is this. I thought homosexuality was a sin until I met and befriended some gay people. Or I used to think that relationships between believers and unbelievers was wrong until I met the goddess on earth. Or this one. I just can't believe Jesus would send good people to hell. He's not like that. If you hear those statements, it means people are putting their feelings, their heart. And it's good that they feel sorry for people, right? But it mustn't come above Scripture. Our feelings must be come in under what Scripture says. I'm trying to be practical here. I hope I am. So that's feelings emphasized over biblical truth. Third one. Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. That's another sign of a church that is off, off track. And this is one of the main agendas of the so-called, you might have heard about this now, the progressive church. Anyone heard of the progressive church movement? Progressive is the word. So this is a movement which is gaining a lot of ground in the post-Christian West. Those who have it good. What's their motto? Their motto is, we need to get away from the historic church and the way they've done things. And we need to use progressive methods if we're to reach a modern day audience. And so, you've got various expressions of church starting. Fresh Expression is one of those. It's an organisation, anyone heard of Fresh Expression? It's based in the UK. It's now here. Um, Our own Baptist Union was pushing it uh, about four years ago. Fresh Expression. What does that mean? It means we do church so that people are less uncomfortable when they come in among us. So you bring in the bells and the smells and songs and things like that and just let people chill. And then kind of, as it were, you kind of slip in the gospel when they're not looking. I call it the gospel by stealth. You put your stealth mode on and no one knows. They become a believer. How'd that happen? I didn't know. That's not what scripture teaches me. Scripture teaches there is such a difference when I come to Jesus Christ. It's life changing. How can I be a Christian by stealth? Let's leave stealth to the military, right? Let's be open and transparent and upfront believers. And if people need to be uncomfortable because of the truth, so be it. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus said. They need to be to be healed. Who are we to change them? And so the progressive church try this redefinition and reinterpretation of biblical principles on all kinds of moral issues. Homosexuality, abortion, the sanctity of life, that's old and young, euthanasia and birth. 
the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, all those things are up for grabs. One of the progressive authors is called John Pavlovitz. He said this, There are no sacred cows. Tradition, dogma and doctrine are all fair game in the progressive church because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. So what is he saying? What do, how do they justify this? We can redefine what Scripture says. We can do it. Because up to now, Scripture and doctrine has passed through people with flawed hands. So what are they saying about themselves? We don't have flawed hands. God on earth. And so some of the comments you might hear are these. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to speak truth. It can still teach a principle and a lesson. Or you might hear this. The church's position on sexuality is archaic and needs to be updated in a modern framework. I've heard that this week. Or this one. The idea of literal hell is offensive to non-Christians and needs to be reinterpreted. You see, which way is the change being driven? From God's word to society or from society to believers? This is society driven. Here's another one. God wouldn't punish sinners. He is love. I'm saying this seriously, people. Because what they've done is they've taken the word love and they've redefined it. They've taken away the biblical context of the word love and now the word love becomes a catch-all term for everything non-confrontative, pleasant and affirming. Can you smell the flowers? But Jesus showed true love by dying on a cross for the sin of sinners. That's true biblical love. In action. Who are we to redefine it? If it's not for me, put it off. You might hear this sentence. Sure, the Bible's authoritative. But we've misunderstood it for the first 2,000 years of church history. Now we understand it fully. People, if you hear these things... Come and see your leadership. If your leadership does nothing around this, find a church that is biblical. Last danger point we can look at is this one. We've looked at the lowered view of Scripture. We've looked at feelings that are put over truth. We've looked at the doctrines that are reinterpreted. Here's the last one. And there are many more, but these are the ones we've got time for this morning. The heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. And this is one of the biggest cancers in the church of Christ today. Now, I've said that. I want to say the next sentence. Please listen. Yes, the Bible clearly commands the church to take care of the unfortunate and to defend those who are oppressed. And church, we need to be doing a better job of this too. Because we are real weak at this as a church of Jesus Christ. We are allowing social organizations to do most of this work. 
because the church hasn't stepped up as it should. So yes, we need to look after those who are oppressed, those who are unfortunate, those who need help. This is at the heart of living out the Christian faith. But the other half of that heart is the gospel message. The one goes with the other. The one is the proof of the other. At the heart of the Christian faith is the Christian message of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and resurrected and thereby reconciled us to God. This is the message that will bring real freedom to the oppressed. Yes, we can stand and try and fight for their rights in India and try and fight for those who are under prostitution. Yes, we must do that. But we also need to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, all we've got is freed up sinners. Yes, we can feed people and we should be feeding more people who are hungry, who've got bellies standing out because of malnutrition. Church, we need to be there and we need to be doing a better job. But if we don't give them the gospel message, their bellies might be full, their souls are unsaved, they will go to hell with full bellies. Do you hear what we say? The gospel goes with social engagement. That's a church of 2018. You see, many churches are so off track, they find the concept of God willing His Son to die on the cross to be an embarrassment and even appalling. Church in Auckland, I heard, saying this. God killing His Son, appalling. It's cosmic child abuse, they said. So some comments you might hear from a church that is off track in this area is this. Sin doesn't separate us from God. We are made in His image and He called us good as His creation. Do you see how it's twisted? Or, God didn't actually require a sacrifice for our sin. Note those words. God didn't actually require a sac... Who said words like that? Satan to Eve. Did God really say... God didn't actually require a sacrifice for our sins. The first Christians, this is how we get clever now, the first Christians picked up on the pagan practice of animal sacrifice and told the Jesus story in similar terms. It was in their times. And we've just kept that. Off track. Here's another one. We don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love by bringing justice to the oppressed and provision to the needy. It's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's our job to just love them. Here's what I saw on a blog this week. Written by someone who doesn't go to church anymore. This is what they said. A guy called Sam. I haven't said his surname. You don't know who that is. We do not attend traditional institutional church. We follow Jesus into the neighborhood, in the inner city, among the homeless and other places. The people know we follow Jesus. And only occasionally do we have to tell them. We've discovered where Jesus hangs out. I hear what he's saying. Because church, we need to be hanging out there too with Jesus. But we need to hang out with lives that show Jesus and a message. And we need to fly our flags up front. 
not let them discover by accident that we're Christians. So we shouldn't be surprised to find some of these ideas infiltrating our churches or even our own thinking. Jesus warned us to watch out for false prophets who come into us in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ferocious wolves. It will tear us apart. So what do we do in 2018? A church on track. And this is very shortly, verses 15 and 16 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Firstly, don't change the message, Wanganese Baptist Church. And if any of us up here change the message, get rid of us. Don't change the message. Don't change the message of the gospel. We are just messengers. It's not our message. It's his message. In your heart regard Christ the Lord as holy. If Christ is your Lord, if you see Christ as holy, then let him be your Lord in the message too. Take out his message unchanged. You see, we've been given the task to take out this message to the world by the Lord and the Holy One Himself. And we therefore preach God's Word in its fullness and without compromise. Believers are built up, challenged and encouraged. And I hope that as you've been listening to the series, you've been built up, challenged and encouraged. And now we need to go out with the rest of the mission. And unbelievers, when they come to our churches and the full counsel of God's word is being preached, then they will hear the full gospel of God. They will hear about His mercy, about His judgment, and about His love to them. We need to preach the full word of God. Secondly, as a church, I'm in the so what's, by the way. You just didn't know I was there. Secondly, we are to... We are to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. What does that verse say? Verses 15 to 16. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Tell me, my friend, my brother and sister in Jesus Christ, do you know how to give a reason for the hope that is in you? Or do you kind of have a vague idea? I know I'm born again and I'm not quite sure how to tell someone else. Can you clearly and simply and logically explain the gospel message to someone who is interested? Or do you leave them more confused than before? Can you quote scripture naturally without using the Bible references? You need to believe because John 3.16 says... No, no, that sounds like street corner stuff that you're preaching the gospel at people. Can you naturally quote, because you know scripture and it's coming out of you, can you just quote God's word as you're speaking? There's a challenge to us. Because today in our rushed world and TV and apps, why do I need to memorize anything? I can just pull up my Bible app if I want the verse. Maybe it's a good idea, but we should at least know God's Word as well. And that might mean that you have to train yourself to prepare yourself, right? Remember your driving days when you first got in that car? I'm not looking at anyone now. Um, manual car, get in the car, 
and you start the first driving lesson, you know, remember what that was like? Stall. I do. But after a while, if with practice, things come more easily, and after a while it's automatic. You can be texting, reading your cell phone, everything while you're driving, and still, no. And still be driving the car, right? Automatically. Well, it should be like that with Scripture. We should know it so well that just in our conversation to people, it flows out of us. You know where I've seen this? My friend Peter Johnson. Don't get a big head now, Peter. He'll speak and as he speaks, Scripture just comes. We need to know Scripture so that when we give a a message, when, when we give the story of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, it can come naturally and we are building in Scripture so that, that we have our reference from God. You see, what's very powerful today in the church in 2018 and 19, the postmodern church, is to tell the story of what God has done in your life to people. To tell the story of when you were in difficulties because you've had cancer or because you're still struggling with cancer, the Lord has been there for you. Why? Here's the reason He has. Tell them the story of Jesus Christ. Because people don't know these scriptures anymore. And they want to hear hope somewhere. Tell your story. But don't let it just be story. Have some content in that story. Scripture infused into it. Let them hear the wisdom of God in their ears. Because He will take that wisdom and bring life. So tell your story. But be known for your gentleness and respect. And that's why people, listen to me, Bible bashing is out. Bible bashing has done a lot of damage to the Christian faith. Yes, some have heard the gospel that way because the scripture was driven into their ears and God took that somehow and worked that. But Bible bashing's out. We need to be getting alongside people. We need to be walking life with people. We need to be gentle when we give our answers. Sometimes we as Christians have been guilty of being rednecks and riding roughshod over people by our answers and our attitudes. Where? Online. Some of the answers I see online to questions, questions people have asked because they disagree with some statement a Christian's made. I cringe when I see those answers because I'm saying those answers don't show the love of Jesus Christ. They just guns out, knives out. We are not to be seen like that, people. Online, may God temper our fingers and may gentleness be seen in our answers. Online. And I know the Bible doesn't mention online anywhere. But the principle is a gentle answer turns away wrath. But let it be a gentle answer filled with wisdom. Be careful when you write on the old email. You write stuff you send, you can't take it back. And it does damage. Yes, there is a place for standing for the truth. Yes, there is a place for protesting, but doing it with gentleness, not with violence. There is a place for standing and saying, up to here, no further. Jesus did it in the temple court, right? He chucked out those who were misusing that place of worship. But we need to be known for our gentle replies, our well-considered answers, our intelligent responses. Not just the normal old phrase that we quote somewhere out of something we read. We need to be intelligent in our replies. We need to have thought through. 
People need to say, these Christians, I don't agree with them, but man, there's stuff to think about there. We need to be gentle in our practical advice as we put forward godly wisdom from His Word. Thirdly, we need to have genuine love and take an interest in people. We need to get our neighbours. We need to get to know our neighbours. We need to be radical in that. Do you actually know your neighbours? Come on, people. Do we know our neighbours? That's a starting block. God has put us there. Have I invited them into my home? That's radical. Or maybe invite them to a common interest group. I spoke about this last week. Get alongside them in life. Go to tennis club together or whatever you do, Monopoly or I don't know. Arrange a block party at the end of this year for Christmas. You arrange it. Invite your neighbours, the whole street. I know John and Nikki did this in their street. Arrange the block party. Fantastic. Now they know their neighbours. And now they're having a session on Fridays where they get together for drinks with their neighbours and they discuss all kinds. Yes, what they saw in the paper, what Pastor Yonk was writing up again. But yes, they're discussing spiritual things as well as walking life, you see. How do we reach a postmodern world? Getting alongside them. What did Jesus do? He got in amongst the Pharisees. He went where the holy people didn't go. He was salt and light amongst them. We need to be there. Or that motorbike riding group. I like that one. Yeah, let's go. But let's invite non-Christians with us. You see, Jesus showed us how to deliberately mix with the world and yet not be of the world. And we need to do the same. We need to get out of the salt shaker, Wangani East Baptist Church. We're clogging up the salt shaker. Because everyone wants to stay inside. And then lastly, this is very scriptural, but I got it from Robots, the movie, the cartoon. See a need? Fill a need. You see, as you're doing life, as you're going along the street in your ute or whatever you drive, as you're going along life, be the church of Jesus Christ. When you see someone in need, You be the one that stops and helps. Don't think, oh, the person behind me will stop. You be the one. I saw this practically yesterday, and I'm not blowing a trumpet here at all. Crossing over at a traffic light, there's two German tourists. Now, because I work with tourists, I see them now. But walking, there's massive suitcases, and they're trying to find their place. You can see it. You can see it. And they were wandering around in circles. And when I came back, they were still there. Same street corner wandering around. So I stopped. It was a yellow line, I must say. I stopped. But there was no other place. I said, can I help you? We are lost. I said, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you would stop and help us? Yes. And I showed them where they were, really near to where they were. They had to go. And then just the smiles on these people. Thank you. We're so tired. We just want to get home. Be the Jesus Christ in the practical situations. When you see that person next to the road, male or female, with a flat tyre, you be the one who helps change the tyre. You, the church of Jesus Christ. Not the next guy. Not the AA. You do it. When your elderly, your, your elderly neighbour is struggling with that new cell phone because they don't know 
how to do anything anymore. You be the one who helps him. Because in that interaction, we are showing Jesus Christ. We are salt in the world. We are light in a dark world. That's how we reach our postmodern society. So if you came here looking for bright new ideas, I'm sorry, that's all I've got. Be the church of Jesus Christ as you are doing life. That's how we reach people for the gospel. I want to, as we end the sermon this morning, I want us to look at a practical example that I'm going to show you on a video. And yes, I'm going to mention another church group. Horror! The City Mission Church. Because I think they are doing what we could do real well, Wanganui East Baptist. And then I'll speak about that just for a minute, I promise, after that. Let's just look at this challenge. When you came to my home, my home was a reflection of how my life was, which was dark, depressing, filthy, out of order, um, no hope. And news came in and cleaned the walls and opened up the curtains and brought in the light and cleared the floor and changed the smell of in the air. When news left, that smell never left. It still lingered in the house. They were wonderful. They hugged me. They were smiling. They were cheerfully moving things around them, rubbish out, folding clothes. They were talking. The rooms were filled with laughter. Everybody seemed to have been really happy to be there. They were working as a team. And there was just a lot of encouragement, like a lot of encouraging words that I could hear. Was, um, nice guys, you know, great stuff, good job. Just hearing this one one big effort to bring light into my home. Was, uh, yeah, it was an amazing feeling. If it wasn't for City Impact coming that day, realistically, I probably wouldn't be alive. I was, um, I was highly suicidal. Since my daughter in 2012 passed away in my arms, I wasn't enjoying life at all, and I didn't have peace. I wasn't coping. I was, I was scraping at the wall just to try and lift myself up. I had already planned where I was going to hang myself, what time, whereabouts, so that I wouldn't be caught. So that was how strongly um, organised that was. My children would have been without a mother for sure, but um, I'm just so thankful that you came, even you did, because I was at my last straw. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming into my home, for smiling, for patting me on the shoulder, for speaking softly, for not pulling faces, for speaking in a kind, kind way. And I just really appreciate the love that you guys shown because it's really made a massive difference in my life. I'm starting to see the truth about myself and I'm really starting to live my life. I didn't know I wasn't living. Um, depression that's gone out the door. We are a peaceful, happy family. Um, the children's behaviour has completely changed. Yeah, I'm just really blessed. So, thank you for coming. 
you see the influence of salt? Do you see the influence of light? Note where that woman was. She was about to face an eternity without Christ. And the light and the salt came in. That's our role. Our name might be Wanganui East Baptist Church, but our character, maybe we should be calling ourselves East Side Impact Church. You see what I'm saying? The world does not have to come to the church to see the church. Sorry, the world does not have to come to the church to see the church. They should see the church in the world. There's our challenge, Wanganui East. God has put us here for a purpose. If we need to all around this and talk through it and see how we can do these things better in our community, then we need to do so. But we need to be Jesus Christ in this community. Otherwise, we have no purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, you've put us in this place to glorify your Father. Help us in the practicalities of knowing how to do that with impact in this community. Lord, save us from our state of comfortableness. We thank you for those who are reaching out to others, who are serving the community, who are looking after others in this church in a self-sacrificial way, but Lord, we all need to be there as a whole church because one individual affects the body. Use us in this place as Eastside Impact Church, I pray. May we impact this community for Jesus Christ so that those who are lost can be saved and those who are brought down by life can be encouraged in Christ. Amen.